0: Hi, and welcome to Engage with Eagle Forum, a podcast to encourage the modern day woman and her vital role in shaping society. I'm one of your hosts, Glenn McKay, a former executive director and current board member of Eagle Forum. And I'm joined by Eagle Forum's political director, Tabitha Walter.
1: Hi. And Eagle Forum's executive director, Kirsten Hassler. Thank you, Glenn. It's great to be here with you. We have a very unique episode for you guys today. On our podcast, we usually tackle the most current issues that affect families, and they're usually political in nature. We thought we would give you guys a little bit of a break to soak in over six months worth of information and introduce ourselves to our new subscribers. So
2: the three of us are always talking to each other, not only about the podcast, but about life too. We really lean on each other. I've likened us to a sisterhood before. Of course, I'm the only one without a sister, so it may feel a little different for me, but I really enjoyed the camaraderie we have going on. Mm -hmm. So we are going to let you eavesdrop on our conversation today. We hope that you can find some camaraderie with us today, or at the very least, some humor. (laughs) So let's start at the very beginning. What did you want to be when you grew up, and how did you become in the political world? Kirsten, let's start with you.
1: Oh, Okay, of course I have to be the first one. <laughs> Let me see here. So in seventh grade, I had to write a report about this and I chose a political scientist because I was always been a big political nerd. In seventh grade, my parents brought me to a George Bush rally <laughs> Oh, wow! <laughs> when he was campaigning. Um, so I don't know, I guess it's like always been a drive for me. I just have always loved watching the news and reading information, learning about our country. Um, and then when I was in college, I studied economics and I was like that kind of the political way if it kind of left me, but then I ended up getting a first job and then I was like, okay, this is definitely what I want to do. And I don't know, that's kind of how I got involved in it.
0: Did you look for a job in politics or did it, that's just what came up for you to do?
1: Um, you know, the doors were closing for me. And then all of a sudden the day I graduated, I was like, okay, well, I guess I'm moving back to Wisconsin. So I went, I had just gotten ready. Like before, I was gonna go walk. I was still in my room in my S40 house, and I like went and looked up on my computer. I was like, "Jobs in Governor Scott Walker's office," and I applied for something, and I heard back. So yeah. it was a total God thing. <laughs> yeah,
0: funny how he does that, right? <laughs> yes.
2: yes, yes, yes. What about you, Glenn?
1: Yeah, that's kind of a lot of my story
0: too. Um, you know, growing up, I wanted to be a mom. Uh, then I was gonna be a teacher, and then by the time it really, you know, there's a lot of pressure in high school. I think these days to make your plan and. I decided I would be a lawyer, and I don't know. I think that that came a lot from my, I have this, I've always had this, my am um, a firstborn, um, very type A, and this kind of keen sense of, or need for justice and law and order, and so that just kind of made sense to me, and I also thought that um, choosing a career like that would bring about a good work-life balance, so that was um, my 10-year plan, and then kind of like Kirsten talked about, God just intervened, I think him for that. Um, But I graduated a semester early from Baylor and uh, President Obama had just been elected. And, you know, it was really interesting to watch and and amazing to see the first um, black man elected president of the United States. But also I just had so many questions and was wondering how a man who had been, you know, raised in this communist Marxist ideology could be elected president. And I just started searching for answers. And so I had this extra semester. I ended up applying for an internship with Phyllis Schlafly. Um, She had greatly influenced my grandmother and um, my grandmother had been an activist within Eagle Forum for decades. So I thought, well, that's somebody I can trust to mentor and, you know, lead me through this. Um, And then the rest is history. Took the internship with her, ended up working on a congressional campaign after the internship. And then she had a job in DC that took me to DC. And here we are uh, actually 10 years later. So.
2: Glenn, I. I have to admit that I always thought you were kind of like an enigma. Like I would see you at meetings and you just seem so like bold and confident. And I'm like, I want to be that. So, you know, I think it really
0: came. I knew I was different when I got to DC. As soon as I started meeting people, I moved there new knowing vaguely one person who had gone to Baylor um, with me. She I ended up living with her. That was a whole nother God thing. But, um, you know, just starting to meet people, it became, people go, go there a lot of times for a career. And I was just so driven by principle and ideas and wanting to make a difference. And so that, um, probably kept me from keeping my mouth shut when I should have. And you know, that kind of thing, I just didn't have any, I wasn't scared of that. And anyway, it's it's interesting to look
2: back on, but I think I appreciate you saying that. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's a compliment for real. Um, as far as me, my parents were pretty apolitical. Um, we, we didn't have conversations about politics or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Um, and they weren't avoiding it. It just wasn't part of their lives. Uh, so, uh, when Bill Clinton was in the news constantly and I was old enough to realize like there's something going on, um, Nickelodeon had, done a little like voting, mock voting thing where we could call in and I wanted to do that. And so I did that and then um, we did a a mock voting thing at um, in my fourth grade classroom and I was the only one who wouldn't vote for Bill Clinton. And my teacher asked why and I had all these reasons, I can't remember what they were now, but I was pretty dead against voting for him. And then um, fast forward to sixth grade, I did a social studies fair project on the perjury of bill clinton and so um and that's when you know, that's obviously like when the monica Lewinsky scandal was uh pretty popular and so um that fared well for me for a couple rounds and then i got to the state level and one of the judges did not agree with me and i lost at the state level but that like only filled my desire um but at the time it was just like a side thing i really wanted to be a teacher uh an elementary school teacher so got my bachelor's degree the only girl who didn't want to
1: be a teacher <laughs>
2: <Right>. <laughs> well i was i was born and raised in the country so my uh my career choices were kind of slim pickings mm-hmm.
0: and also, don't you think, because it's something that I think the feminists say a lot is like, we want a world where women can't just be nurses or teachers. But don't you think women choose to be teachers because not only are they like helping foster and grow the next generation, but it presents a lot of flexibility?
2: Oh, absolutely. And like, I love kids. Like, yeah. I worked with kids at church and um, I babysat a lot. So I just really love doing that. Yeah. But yeah. then, like, when I got into the school system for student teaching, was like this is not what I thought you can be creative people were really unhappy with their jobs Um, and we've seen a lot of that tension play out over the years but I just didn't want to enter something where people were already unhappy and so um, I didn't plan on getting my master's degree at the time, but my mom was like, "You need to go up to that office. It was the first day of classes, and you need to sign up for a master's degree." And I was like, "Okay." So um, the the only program that I had the prereqs for was political science, and so I just went ahead and got a master's degree in, in political science. Did an internship at the West Virginia State Capitol. And, um, that's where I fell in love with this whole process. Also fell in love with my husband, but we'll talk about that later. (laughs) Um, and so it was just, I just loved all of the drama and the chaos and, and figuring out like how life worked, like how our, our nation worked, how our state level worked. And Mm -hmm. so it was, God definitely planted that seed in me. Mm
1: I love that. Yeah. So, kind of moving on along that same vein, where do you both identify politically? And um, you can go first, Glenn.
0: Oh, um, <clears throat> so, this is an interesting question, and one that my husband and I have been talking about a lot lately because I get um, all feisty when people are asked that question and they immediately respond with the party because I feel like you can't ascribe yourself to a certain party anymore in answer to what are your you know political views because yeah. it's so, um, it's, um, it's very complex. Um, so I have always defined myself as a conservative and I used to call myself a conservative Republican. Um, I still call myself a conservative Republican sometimes but I lead with conservative because it's an ideology um, that I've ascribed to. And I think that that comes from, I was thinking a lot about that um, because I want to hear from y'all too, what, what led you to that decision. Um, but for me, so much of it came from my parents, from my dad, especially. And I was encouraged to be educated on politics from a young age and my parents were faithful voters. They would never tell you who they voted for, but they were faithful voters and always had paid attention to the news. So we were always talking about those kinds of things. And I really just, in the wake of losing my dad, been reflecting on all the things I learned from him. And I think so much of my desire for, um, Honesty and transparency and just really working things out for yourself came from him because he came from a traditionally Democrat background, but then grew to live and vote as a conservative, which means he traditionally voted and supported Republicans. So why, you know, how, how does that happen? Because it, it doesn't seem to be, I don't, I don't see that as much anymore, Mm -hmm. but, um, I think so much, you know, he read a lot, he studied a lot, he just worked things out in his mind and expected us to do the same. He worked hard for everything he had, which is actually something that he learned from his parents, from his family. I mean, they didn't come from affluence or wealth, but they did what they had to do to provide for their family. And my dad saw that and my dad modeled that. He was the first one to go to college. Um, And, you know, that was then expected from us. So I don't, I don't take any of that for granted because I'm reaping the benefits of the faithfulness of my grandparents and of my dad. But I think the point in all of that was that he, um, worked issues out in his mind. He took an issue, he read about it, he studied about it, he learned, he sought wise counsel, and then he came to a conclusion. And all of those conclusions led him to the polls and how he voted. So anyway, sorry, I think I got on a soapbox there too, but that's really how I identify my political views and
2: kind of what led me to that.
1: No, oh, I you know? love that.
2: Yeah. And, and just for full disclosure for our listeners, we have not seen each other's answers. And <laughs> so um, so we're having like a real conversation here, but uh, we may all have the same answer. We may not.
1: Yeah.
2: Glenn, I'm of the same thread here where I identify, I identify myself as a conservative, but I think it's just my way of like distancing myself from the Republican party. Yeah. Um, I mean, I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I still vote Republican probably most of the time, but there are times that I don't agree with the way that Republicans vote. Yeah. Um, we have a great platform, and the platform is what I agree with. Right, but right. when you have a group of conservatives, say in Congress, who are voting for something that I feel like doesn't represent me, then I don't want to be aligned with the Republican Party. Right. So, right. like, for instance, all of the financial bills that keep rolling down the pike, Yes. Um, how can we be fiscally conservative when we're continually adding more money to the deficit and we're putting money into places that don't need the money. So that's where I kind of divert from the Republican Party that is today at least. Um, and then as far as how I came to this conclusion, it it also boils down to my upbringing. So I'm from West Virginia, like I mentioned before, where the general population is socially conservative, even for many Democrats, at least while I was growing up. And, um, but the, the major divisions were typically on like unions and government intervention. And both of these things, in my view, were extremely unhelpful, which aligned me more with the conservative thought. Um, and then when I became, when I started working in DC, then I started learning a lot of that substance behind what I believed. So like the science behind being pro-life or how um, the federal government can really handcuff people and organizations by creating funding programs where they're stuck, like they can't get out of that federal funding or they completely lose their organization or they lose the funding that they need to survive. And so that entrapment really turned me off of big government. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, like my passion behind these things really ramped up whenever I had a, a kid. Mm-hmm. Because now I'm not fighting for myself anymore. I'm fighting for future generations. That's right. And um, I would consider my life being being great so far. But... I would love for my kid to have an even better life than I have. And so when you bring other people into the mix, especially the ones that you love the most, you want to fight for their future.
1: That's right. right. Yeah, I would probably pretty much echo everything that y'all said. I mean, I was raised in a conservative home. Um, I mean, And I think like some people would look at my life and say, well, you like, you weren't exposed to varying of opinions. Um, But the one thing about my parents and about the college education I received is that both of those entities really instilled in me the need to know why you believe what you do and have a solid defense for it, but then also have a breadth of knowledge about the other opinions in the world. Yes. and why you may or may not be opposed to them. And then taking all of that and formule- formulating your own decisions. Um, so yes, of course, I identify as the conservative as well. Um, I mean, thankfully, my dad was always annoyed with the Republican Party. So I like always kind of had that, that streak in me. <laughs> it's like, yeah. you know, I think like one thing that we know from being outside of Washington is that it's hard to trust the system when you don't understand everything that's going on in there. Mm-hmm. When you are working in D.C., And especially when I worked on Capitol Hill um, in the House of Representatives, I really got an inside look at all the political moves that have to be made in these decision making that leads to um, the fruition of a bill and then ultimately into a passage of it. And so a lot of like the ideals that we hold, just sadly, they're never going to come into fruition because there's all these different political maneuvers that are happening behind the scenes. And so, I mean, yes, I've been totally disillusioned by living in DC, but I think like, because we have that institutional knowledge, it does give me a little bit more of a, I don't know, I'd say like a step up and like actual tangible things that we can fight for,
0: you know? Yeah. Yeah, And I think this is all like the very reason we started this podcast, right? Because we have been able to take these ideas, work them out for ourselves, understand why we believe them, understand why other people believe other things. And We know that's hard and that's a process. And I know everybody doesn't have time to do that. And so, I don't know, I think you would agree, like that's what I'm most passionate about is making sure that other people are um, equipped and empowered to take part in this process because like you have both said, you know, it is so convoluted and it's all political maneuvering, everything is politics. Mm -hmm. And so you have to be able to take all of that and filter through it to come to the conclusions,
1: right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think like it's also like so important to remember the little wins that we have. You know, it's easy to get frustrated, like Tepa, you were saying, like the, the crazy spending that that the government does. But like we also have had a ton of wins in the life movement for the past four, four or so years. You know, little steps, baby steps. That like, oh my gosh, maybe there is a light at the end of the tunnel. <laughs> I don't know.
0: Yeah. We've all um, effectively outed ourselves as conservatives now, and I say that because um, conservatism isn't the most popular ideology. I mean, I find myself a lot, especially now that I've moved out of D.C., kind of back into the real world. Um, when politics is talked about, or when some people are asking questions, it's I kind of cringe a little bit and saying, "Well, you know, I'm a conservative," um, so. First of all, I would be interested in your thoughts on why that is. And then what motivates each each of you um,
2: to continue this work? Um, I mean, honestly, I still shy away from political conversations. I have friends that are all over uh, the political sp- spectrum. And mm-hmm. I want to keep them close. Like I, I don't want to push them away. Or um, I don't want my personal beliefs to um, kind of mar the whole movement that i'm part of but um at the same time um it's just very hard to it's very hard to do this work um on a mental level as well and so how i i still struggle like how do i do i separate my job versus my personal life Um, because it all like intertwines when you when you work this job. Um, so yeah, it's a very difficult, um, career path to be in politics, but, um, I think at the same time, what motivates me is what we've talked about before is, um, how do we prepare a better future for the people we love the most? And also people who haven't quite yet understood what's what's best for our nation or what's best for individuals and not saying that i know what's what's best but we have to start that conversation right and so um yeah it that's a that's a hard one even though i wrote the question (laughs) um i thought i'd have a better answer whenever i you know answered it but yeah
0: i it's I think you're right. And it it goes back to, right. The conversation has become so polarizing yeah. and people automatically make assumptions about you instead of, we just can't have conversations anymore. And that's very frustrating.
2: Yeah, no, I've, I've had friends saying like, when they found out who I worked for in the past, yeah. they, they're like, what's up with this? And, um, and, and by the way, like just because you work for an organization doesn't mean that, you subscribe to every single thing that they put out. I would hope that you would agree mostly with them so that you can be effective. But just like in any other relationship, you're having internal conversations all the time about what should we message on. And sometimes your opinion gets sacrificed for a different opinion. And so it's not like because we're part of an organization it's easy for us um, we still have to have very hard conversations with each other right. um, and then we have to go out and have hard conversations with our families and friends at the same time so we get the double whammy from <laughs> both ends of the stick
1: what about you kirsten um, I, I mean, I would just say like, I honestly, this is probably just probably a, bad, a flaw in my personal banality, but I don't care if people think different of me because I'm a conservative. Like I literally could care less. And that's just part of who I am. Like I really, like I can be really like put up the stone cold wall, like think of me what you want. I don't care. Um, I've just learned to embrace it. And I haven't had anyone tell me like, Oh, well, I don't like you anymore. Cause you know, you're pro-life or you're whatever. I mean, and I think if someone was to come to me and say that, say, you know, like, I, like we've been saying all along, just because I identify as conservative doesn't mean I necessarily agree with every single thing that President Trump has done. I don't.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, but the motivating, motivating, like, issue for me is that I'm a single issue voter when it comes to the life issue. Hmm. And the, the issue that I have been encountering is that, well, that extends over more than just, you know, unborn, preborn babies there's a lot of different other factors relating to that right now. And so I don't know. I mean, I think that's a continued motivation is that I'm hoping that there's going to be some sort of political realignment that both parties, you know, maybe we can come together on some of these issues and really realize that like being pro-life means we've, we've talked about this before on on other episodes, but being pro-abundant life and that it, it reaches all different facets and levels of society. And I think that even Democrats could agree with that, you know, with conservatives. So That is a huge motivation for me.
0: And that's that's a really good point. You know, this is something, especially as we've watched the Black Lives Matter movement unfold and um, the coronavirus uh, tension on how we, you know, how, what governments should be doing, et cetera. um, We all want the same things, right? We just have different ways of going about that. And the only way to like figure that out is to have conversations. But when people immediately say like, oh, we shouldn't talk about religion or politics. Well, if those are like two of the primary motivating factors for all these things, like we have to talk about them if we want to see um, solutions, I guess yeah. what I'm saying. So yeah, I hear y'all. It, and it does, I, I'm, I admire, and I can't wait to hear about your personality um, <laughs> traits person but your ability to say like I am who I am and this is what I believe and you can either take it or leave it um yeah. it's, a, it's a good quality it's not necessarily a character flaw right
1: I appreciate um,
0: that. <laughs> but I do love this question Tabitha and as I was thinking about it I was like oh I don't I don't even know what to answer you know how to answer this but I think it really comes back to freedom Um, because, and that, and I think that's what you both mean as well when we're talking about our children, but, Mm -hmm. you know, I believe that the tenets of conservatism are what bring about the most opportunity for success and achievement, um, and fulfillment for everyone, no matter where you come from or, you know, what your socioeconomic status is, your background, like these, this, the principles of conservatism lead to, um, opportunity for everyone. But that's greatly rooted in my faith. And I think that the truth of humanity, as told through the story of the Bible, is not only one of redemption, but of freedom. And like Kristen said, you know, Jesus didn't come to give us life, but abundant life. And Mm -hmm. he came to set us free. And so if I believe that that's the foundation on which I stand, that has to translate to my politics.
1: Mm
2: -hmm. Absolutely. Um, So one of the things I think that we all have in common is that we're problem solvers. (laughs) <laughs> and what, that's one of the things that motivates us to continue working the jobs that we do, because we want to solve all the problems. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that goes into our next question. Uh, let's talk about our personalities and um what we've what results we've gotten on on certain personality tests. Now, like there are a million out there, but I just want to focus on two today. Um, the Myers-Briggs and the Enneagram. So what are your results and how do they relate to your life? Kirsten, let's start with you.
1: Okay, well, I will tell you my Enneagram first and then I'll say uh, then that will relate into my Myers-Briggs. Okay, Okay. so I've never done the real Enneagram test, like the (laughs) full one that you pay for. I haven't done that, but I've done a lot of like the online ones and it always tells me I'm a five. And when I read what a five is, which I can't even think of what it's called right now, like the thinker or something, I don't know, but it basically,
0: I know so many of our listeners are like, how do they not know what the,
1: (laughs) well, that's the thing about me is I don't really care about those, (laughs) you know, like, um, but anyway, like a five is someone who's like very independent, um,
0: investigator.
1: Yeah. The investigator. So I'm very inward thinking. Um, and then I'll just go like, do something. But like when people ask me a ton of questions about what I'm doing, I get annoyed, which is, (laughs) yeah, it's, I good, good thing to
2: note yeah
1: Noted. yeah good thing to note. no um like I think like and I, I value like my quiet time that's how I recharge I do like being around people but like it always gets to a point for me where I'm like okay I want to go home like I have like really enjoyed quarantine to an extent um, but I will say I have gotten a little sick of being so much having so much togetherness with my husband <laughs> and he's like like, he's the exact opposite of me he's like means people the the different personalities are funny so that being said like I have no idea what my Myers-Briggs is it's something with um an I an introvert MJ. but and like the the like types of um you know how they always give like you the careers that you'd be good with after you're done with it Mm -hmm. I always got like an administrator And I'm really good at being an administrator. Like I was an executive assistant for almost, I don't know, like four and a half years because I take a lot of value in helping people accomplish things.
0: Hmm. Um, well, this is actually hysterical (laughs) because, um, when you uh, said, I don't even know what my Myers-Briggs is. I'm like, well, I kind of know mine because I looked it up before this because <laughs> I am an achiever and I am a, I want to meet the expectations that were set of me. So I went, and was like looking and trying to remember because I haven't taken Myers-Briggs. Yeah. In a well, long time.
1: Myers-Briggs is kind of like, you know, five years ago. Yeah, <laughs> <And> <laughs> right. then, um,
0: yeah but I do know I'm an extrovert. Um, I think I'm an ENFJ. Um, I know I'm a J and I think I'm an N and an F, but, um, anyway, what's what what we, my husband and I've been talking more about is the Enneagram and I'm a three, an achiever, but I wing two as a helper. Um, my husband tells me I can only have one wing, but I actually think I wing eight as well. So he says that means I'm either an unhealthy three or I'm an unhealthy eight. So I don't know what I am right now.
1: Um, (laughs) What is is the eight again?
0: The challenger. So he said that is because he said. I like arguments and I'm like, no, 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 I do not like arguments. In fact, I hate controversy <laughs> and I'd be really interested for like Phyllis to take the um, Enneagram test yeah. now because she was so not a controversial individual in her personal life. It did not feel like like she was not willing to take yeah. on personal battles, especially when you're running it. We saw that because she ran an organization of mm-hmm. women um, what? She would get out in the news, get on the platform, on the stage. And man, she seemed like a really controversial, like, yeah. um, you know, challenging figure. So it's really interesting. And I kind of um, ascribe to the same idea when I believe something and I know something, or when I'm trying to figure something out, I definitely challenge things, but I don't know. I also think my wing two goes back to like how I've grown in my faith. Cause the two's the helper. And I find so much fulfillment in helping others, but I don't naturally, like, I I don't know that I naturally respond in that way. It's something I've really like taught myself to do or allowed the spirit to guide me in. I don't know. I don't know if that makes sense, but Mm -hmm. I feel like you're the personality expert. So
1: yeah, Um,
0: I'm
2: not the expert. I (laughs) follow Enneagram, Instagram accounts. So if that makes me an expert, then sure. (laughs)
1: Um, <laughs> in anything to you an expert today, right?
2: Yeah. Enneagram
1: I mean, and coffee. Isn't that the popular one on yes, Instagram? Yes.
2: Um, so Glenn, you and I have the same personalities. That's funny. But, Cause a lot of times we'll text and be like, are we the same person? That's weird. Yeah. I yeah. Know. Um, so yes, I, um, in an e, am an ENFJ, which sometimes I've taken the test and the F and the T have like interchanged. Yes. Um, I feel like right now it's more of an f, which is feeling um, but that would be the protagonist um but if if I'm feeling more of a t then that's the commander um i I do like to make decisions, so I have no problem like t- telling my husband where I want to go eat. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then Enneagram, I'm a three wing two um so I love to accomplish things but I don't like uh, to crush people in the process.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, so I think that's where the helper comes in. And mm-hmm. and a lot of times, like, there's the three of us making decisions. And <laughs> um, I like, sometimes I take a little bit of a step back and I like to hear what Kirsten's opinion is, and then what Glenn's opinion is. And then how can I like, Insert myself in the middle and come to a compromise. Yes. There you go. Oh,
0: that's funny. And even like yesterday, you were both saying something, and I was like, "How do I bring this to a?" <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> that's yeah. funny. Yeah. And the this- last thing I want in our relationship is for like two people ganging up on one person. So yeah. Always yeah. like yeah. mentally aware of that. Yeah,
0: yeah. I think as we work through this, like, it's really like working together on this project. It's really um, made me understand the value of these personality type tests within the workplace even more. Um, Especially when we talk to uh, talk about like the whole being of a person, you know, you have to, you really need to enjoy what you're doing and be good at it. It'd be a good fit for your personality to find true fulfillment. And if you can't find the fulfillment then you're not going to find success in your job, you know, I don't yeah. know. I, I can appreciate, and I'm very intrigued by these personality tests.
1: Well, I think it's interesting. Like you could probably see our personality breakdown in, in the aspects of what we each do for the podcast. Like Tabitha, you're like the tech person, like, you know, like the overall, like we wouldn't be here without you editing and you know, doing all of that stuff. This is I, how
0: our message gets to people.
2: Yes, yeah. And just, yes. and just to butt in, like, that is not my background whatsoever. But, and I, I talked to my husband about it. I was like, um, I was like, why am I doing all this video stuff, which I love to do. And I love being creative, but it just wasn't in my wheelhouse before. And he was like, that's because you sit down and you do it and you figure out a way to get it done. And, and I think that plays into my achiever personality is that I will spend hours on something, figuring out how to get it done. And Um, it's very rare if I give up and just say, I can't do that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And Glenn, you know, you're, you're like our expert, like booker and Mm -hmm. getting super prepared for our interviews coming up. And then I like, I don't know, I'm kind of like the helper. I pick up where I need to, Mm -hmm. right? Like I write all the emails and Mm -hmm. which I enjoy doing that kind of stuff. It brings me fulfillment.
2: Yeah. Yeah, You're an excellent writer. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. For sure.
1: Well, let's kind of shift the gears a little bit because we are all moms and wives. Mm -hmm. So we have to talk a little bit about that. So let's go on the beans on these two relationships. Starting with marriage, let's talk about how we met our husbands. How has marriage surprised you, or what's the biggest lesson that you've learned so far?
2: So I mentioned before that my husband and I met at the West Virginia State Capitol while we were both interning in the same program, and um, he had invited me out. Like with all the other interns as friends, and I ignored it because I didn't want to like put myself in a situation where we would like each other. I guess I don't know. And then, um, and then a little while later, I came back around and started hanging out with him. And I told him at the beginning, I was like, I have no intentions of marrying you. This is just for fun. And yeah, like where we are now. I, it was one of those situations where I felt like, like, I loved the guys that needed fixed, and, and because, I mean, look at us, we're problem solvers, but, um, but Tom, like, really had it all together, and so he, he had goals. He would com- be completely fine without me, but also, like, we complement each other's personalities. That was, more extroverted than him, but he also loved going on adventures, and so anyways, um, we dated for a year, we broke up, and then I was like, what am I doing, and so then we got back together, and, um, got engaged on the 4th of July, and got married around Christmas, so we're all American, like, yeah, (laughs) (laughs) um, so yeah, um, to the question of what, how has marriage surprised you? Um, I was actually surprised at how much better our relationship grew, even after having a kid. Like I always had it in my mind, like a kid would be so stressful that it mm-hmm. would just wreck our relationship, and we'd have to like constantly work on it. Which I mean, we're constantly working on it anyways, but. Yeah. I find so much joy and fulfillment in watching him raise our son, yes. and there's actually been a lot less disagreements on parenting than I thought. Um, we were raised very different ways, and so I thought I would see that play out more, but I, I think a lot of the work that we put in ahead of time, because we waited um, a few years before we had children, um, I think all that work really did us a lot of good in in creating a solid foundation and talking communicating about like what we wanted in life and what we truly believed in. Okay. Um, so yeah, i think I think that has been the most surprising for me so far. And then, what's the biggest lesson I've learned? Oh, communication going back That's to the communication um so uh, my husband is a Democrat, and I'm a Republican. And um, we joked about. I would say you're
1: conservative. Yeah. Oh, yeah sorry, um, I'm conservative.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, so the three of us like talked a little bit about this um, before the podcast, and I'm like, this is the first uh, public confession that my <laughs> husband is a Democrat in our relationship. Among at least among like my conservative folks, um,
0: it makes you much more well-rounded
2: yes it it absolutely does now like my husband isn't like a diehard liberal like Mm -hmm. we aren't completely opposite ends of the spectrum and there are things that we can agree on there are elements that we can find common ground and i think that helps me when i have conversations with people um and i know like kind of the way that the other side thinks Um, it's not always a bad thing um Mm -hmm and I don't always use it as ammo against the other side, you might think, (laughs) but, um, but yeah, so the lesson in that is how to have conversations that are productive, um, how to have disagreements, also, like, that uh, political issues aren't the main things that we fight about, like, our arguments are your typical marital arguments of like, who's doing this chore, or who's doing it the right way or the wrong way, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, so political arguments do not take up our time whatsoever. But um, it, it has really taught me a lot of how to, how to speak to different kinds of people.
1: So I met my husband in college, just through mutual friends. Um, I have, going back to my five personality, my Enneagram five, I should say, not my five personality. um, I don't do anything until I feel like I have all the necessary information to do it with 100% success. And like, I know It's factual. Um, So that's why I was with dating. Like I wasn't, I literally did not date anyone until I met my husband because I wasn't going to date someone who wasn't worth my time. I didn't think that he was going to be, you know, the one at the end of the aisle for me. Um, So, I mean, and that's, and it's just funny, like growing up, like my mom and my grandmother, I say like, oh, well, like, you know, I'm not surprised that that's how you were. (laughs) Just kind of how I was. Um, I was also very shy. And I think that also contributed is like why I didn't really have boyfriends is that I just was, I was very reserved and it was hard for me to let myself out until I met my husband who really encouraged me. And I was able to feel confident in doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, how has marriage surprised me? It's fun. I don't know. Like, I, I think, I think that's like the, the biggest thing is like, life is fun when you get to be with your best friend every single day yeah. and it, it's enjoyable for us. Mm-hmm. Um, the biggest lesson I think this once I had james our 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 little toddler, as I really gained a tangible sense of what it must have been like for God to send his son to this earth and then know that he was going to be crucified. Hmm. like I would do anything for my kid to never have him, you know come to any sort of discourse or conflict or anything. Um, so I think like that has been like a huge lesson for me, and it's been really. I guess it's not really marriage-related also, but eye-opening. Together, I feel like my husband and I have come to that realization. I love that.
0: Well, for me, Richard and I met in D.C. I grew up in Texas. He grew up in Mississippi. We both went to D.C. somewhat after college. Um, And we met at church, and we were just friends for several years. And people would ask us along the way, like, what's going on with y'all? You know, why?" (laughs) or either... Are y'all dating, or why are you not dating? And I just kept saying, "No, this is my just friend, Richard. Like that's it. We are just friends. He's not." Poor Richard.
1: I'm sure he was like, (laughs) (laughs)
0: "Yeah." I think he would say the same thing. He said I was too Texas for him, so I'm just too proud of the are, you know. But um. No, the funny thing is we were doing a, um, Bible study. We started reading a book together and not together together, but in a group. And, um, it was called the sacred search by Gary Thomas. I recommend it to everyone, even if you're married, but especially to my single friends. But the whole premise of the book is what if marriage isn't about who you marry, but why? And about that same time, he had invited me and our group of friends to, um, this magical place called the Neshoba County Fair. And it's in his hometown. It's where he grew up. This is a fair that you've never like, experienced before. It is- like better
1: than the Texas State Fair? Uh,
0: absolutely, 1,000%. <laughs> so um, I can't believe I'm talking about the Neshoba County Fair on the podcast, but here it is. Um, so it's just this wonderful place where back in the late 1800s, people started going. It was kind of just a a day, a day or two. There was, it was your typical kind of county fair, but then there was also political speaking and such long story short, now there are 600 cabins on the fairgrounds. People in town, you know, it's a county of like, I don't know, 15 to 30,000 people. I don't know. But um, if you own a cabin and all your friends, you move out to the fairgrounds for a week. And it's just like, a little Mayberry. It's amazing. I mean, there's um, horse races during the day. There's uh, music entertainment at night. It's like a big family reunion. My husband has never missed a fair, even lived overseas for two years um, and came back those two years for the fair. So (laughs) it's just very important to him. And I was like, sure, I'm game. Why not experience this? Well, I ended up being the only one that booked a flight to go down to Mississippi from DC for the fair that year. This was in 2013. And I say it's magical because it really was just like, sparks flew. It was bizarre. It was, mm-hmm. um, you know, we could, we could say this little fairy tale thing, but what it really was, was that I was, um, you know, in the midst of his family, I love his family so much. Mm-hmm. And, um, it was, I don't know, it just, th- things just started to make sense there. I started thinking why am I so caught up in this, that, and the other about who I want to date and not about why I want to be married? And so anyway, it just became very clear to me at that point, um, after being friends with him for a couple, almost three years that, um, our hearts were aligned and what we wanted and what we wanted to pursue. And so, um, we were both able to set aside the, um, other things to um anyway start dating so that's a whole long story but we got married um he then left to go overseas for two years which is absolute insanity sure let's date um but then I'm gonna move overseas a thousand months
1: so okay. were you married and then he moved or no, you start dating dating i started dating then dating. And we oh, okay. started dating
0: in September and he moved in January so um that was Crazy, and the it was the best thing for us as well because yeah. we learned to communicate so well because that yeah. would be the biggest lesson I've learned I think in marriage as well. Like Tabitha said, is communication. Um, you know, marriage has surprised me in a lot of ways. Um, first of all, we didn't know that I would be able to carry and have babies when we got married, so um, we just anyway. That's another story. We ended up getting pregnant in our first month of marriage. So marriage has been crazy. Not only did he get back from being overseas for two years, then eight months later, we got married, then, you know, we start having children. So, um, but I think that what surprised me most is how me having lived on my own for so long, I was 30, almost 30 when I got married, um, learning or just seeing how easy it has been to be able to just depend on him to, you know, the, the, what cuss word for the women's movement is submission, but to be able to submit to him in so many ways, because I trust him, I trust his leadership, Mm -hmm. um, I just didn't, I think when I think, when I think back to preparing for marriage, I knew that was going to be the hardest part of marriage for me. And it it really hasn't been. And also I just, the way that his family has become mine has been such a, um, gift, uh, his sister has really become one of my best friends. Shout out Molly. She listens to the podcast. Um, but then his mom is just, she loves me as her own. She encourages me as her own. His dad is so wonderful, especially as I've like lost my dad recently. Um, it's just been awesome to like actually become another, I just feel so much joy being a part of another family. It's such a gift. So, and my family's amazing, of course. So uh, it's such a gift to have another family just equally as wonderful. So let's shift the conversation to talking about our, um, babies. How about that? Um, motherhood is certainly not short of surprises either. So, um, two questions for y'all. What has been the hardest thing for you about motherhood and what has
2: been the most rewarding thing about motherhood? So <laughs> this has really played out this week in my life. Uh, the hardest has been not getting my way. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, we're raising little Kids who have their own individual personalities. Yeah, and I think that was really surprising to me. Even like the day that I had Jude, um, he felt so independent of me. Like he had been in my belly for well almost eight months. I gave birth early, <laughs> and he felt like a part of me. And then when he when he came out, I was like, oh, he's actually like an independent person. <laughs> um, so. Uh, there, there are times when he is learning and growing in ways that I'm trying to figure out how to help him, um, how to steer that personality. He's very, a very strong-willed little boy. He's very adventurous. He's very curious. And um, it's always that balance of like, how far do I let him go on his own, but also pull him back a little to help him learn um, how to navigate life in an appropriate way. And so um, I'm always trying to find that balance. Um, and I'm always trying to keep in mind that my way may not necessarily be his way. Um, we may have two different personalities. We may have similar personalities. I, I don't quite know yet. But I want him to have the options before him so that he can effectively navigate his own personality as well. So, um, there's a lot of learning involved for me. Mm-hmm. And then the most rewarding thing, um, gosh, there's so many rewards, um, that I could go on one. but, um, one of the fun things that we did this week is, um, yesterday I took him to a park and there's a Creek and he just walked right into the Creek and, <laughs> okay. Like, I, I don't mind taking a dip in the creek, but I typically just don't walk right into the creek. And so um, so in order for me to like help him walk through the creek, I had to get in myself. So um, So he's definitely made me more adventurous. Like I thought I was adventurous before, but he's pulling me in ways that I never thought that I would go just so that he can learn and experience new things.
1: I love that. That's good. That's so cute. That does not surprise me at all about Jude, Tabitha, just knowing know. you, you know, that he was, like, bold enough to go walk through that creek.
2: Okay. Yes, Kirsten and I have had play dates with Jude and James. I love and, it. And mm-hmm. um, Kirsten has watched me run all over the place trying to catch Jude, while James <laughs> is, like, perfectly standing still <laughs> beside his mom, so. He's
1: very yes. cautious. He's Tell us about cautious motherhood, person. Person. Um I think the hardest thing and, I, and of course is he's actually over here. <laughs> um I, I I think like kind of like what you were saying Tetha. I mean we we tend to always want like these plans to come into fruition and especially when we're working from home and like I usually do have some help but of course like this afternoon I don't. Um <laughs> but it's just like I think motherhood has really taught me to be more flexible. Yeah. You know, if I have to work at 10 p.m., I have to work at 10 p.m. Right. But I also value that work and I find fulfillment in it. And so that's not right. necessarily a bad thing. Just because I can't, like, just go to bed and watch TV doesn't mean that, like, you know, my life is any worser than it was. I wouldn't trade it for anything else. Um, and so I think just like weaving James's life into my life and into my husband's life. You know, we, I think we're one of the first of our like friends in this area to have had a child and I think that like sometimes like especially before we had it I'm like they're like well that's the last we'll see of the Hasslers like we're not gonna go to restaurants anymore or whatever but you know James has not hampered us at all we have actively brought him to you know the brewery or to the <laughs> restaurant or to Jazz in the Park um so yeah i think but then also like there's like oh like you know he's having a tantrum but just like ignoring that and like valuing on the fun memories that we're making as a family together Mm -hmm. um the most rewarding thing has actually been very recently james has started calling whoever he sees him he wants attention mama and dada (laughs) and so and i was texting about this to robert this morning because i took him to a park early this morning and he was Wanting to play with these little kids who were also there and he was like calling them like mommy, mommy, dada. <laughs> and and I was texting my husband, he's like, you know, those words really mean something to James yeah. You know, he's he's come to notice that whenever he says those two words, that someone will respond or care for him or mm. listen to him. And I think, you know, just like realizing that like, oh, we are making such an impact on him already. He just turned to you, has been really just rewarding and eye-opening.
0: I love that. And I love so much of what you both said. It it made me think, um, we talked about this a couple of podcasts ago, but how our society doesn't seem to view children as a blessing anymore, but as a burden, which is horrifying. And and you see that in the birth rates, the birth rates in America have plummeted and why, and I think there's a, a variety of reasons, but one thing is that concept. And so I love that you just pick him up and take him with you. That's, we did the same for our firstborn. And then we, Soon thereafter, uh, surprisingly had a, the blessing of a second born and, and we just didn't, you know, my mom said to me when I was first pregnant, he, you are not being born into his life. He's being born into yours and for reason and for purpose. And so don't let a child, don't make, don't think that that means you can't keep doing the things God has called you to do. And obviously there's a balance there, but anyway, I love that. Um, and I, I think for myself, you know, as I said, we entered into parenthood very quickly, right as we were learning how to be married to each other. Um, so a lot of things have happened and there were moves and new jobs and all of that. And so, so many changes and I'll tell you, and I hate that I'm admitting this, but probably the hardest thing for me has been the opinions of others, um, which is ironic because I have done so many other things throughout my life with really out of, out of, at, without a care. And so I don't know what's changed about me. I should probably dive into that a little more, but I am a people pleaser in so many ways. And especially in this social media culture where, um, in this culture of moral, moral relativism and, you know, go live your truth. Somehow that's also been translating into, translated into, I think it's the irony of that movement, but my truth is also your truth. So you, you know, it's just, a, did that make sense? What I just said? <laughs> like, there's yeah. now this culture of just, um, whatever's good for you is good for you. And that's all that matters. And I don't know, it just, it's been really hard to find balance in all of that. So we're actually, um, Moving toward adoption right now, so I guess that was my big announcement for everyone, but um, we 'll see who real friends are who's really listening to our podcast but um, and this has just been really hard because you know we 've spent so much time educating ourselves over the last few years I mean we really thought we would build our family through adoption. Um, but we've spent a lot of time educating ourselves and so much time in thought and discussion. And over these last couple of months, so much time in prayer over this, but still I cringe when I tell people that this is what, as I've been telling people, this is what we've chosen to do next. Um, Because I'm so scared of what the response is going to be. And probably because some people's responses haven't been just overwhelmingly um, positive, But, but that's okay. Because This, and this leads to my, the most rewarding thing about motherhood for me is that I have really learned how to depend on the Lord in a completely new way. Um, you know, from what our schedule looks like to our health decisions, to our family dynamics, you know, learning how to seek him and trust him, um, through scripture, through prayer, through wise counsel of others has been the most rewarding because, at the end of the day, pleasing and obeying him, God, the author and actual sustainer of my life um, is really all that matters. And he is where I'm going to find peace anyway, not in the opinions of others. And in him is where I'm going to find my fulfillment. So I really, you know, these are things we were supposed to learn in junior high, um, but that I'm just relearning now as um, an older believer that, you know, how to kind of work those things out, I guess.
1: I, I think that's, I mean, babies could teach us so much about, like I said, having faith, having just yeah. a whole new reliance and, and also trusting God with our lives ultimately, yes. you know, like understanding that we are stewards, you know, right? But this child is not really mine. Yes. <laughs> you just gave him to me yeah. for this season of my life. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So we are cultivating a marriage, raising our kids, and then also working full-time, So let's dive into that subject. Um, First, why did you choose to work after having your kids? Uh, Do your children go to daycare while you work? And how do you juggle the work-life balance?
1: Um, So this is a a kind of a loaded question, Tabitha. Um, I think for me, after I had James, I had kind of taken a break because I'd been working in the house and my boss lost. And so I was kind of at this crossroads where my husband and I lived in one of the most expensive cities in the world, Arlington, Virginia. And I had just had a baby and I didn't have a job. Um, so we did it for like six months, but like, I'm not gonna lie, like, funds were tight. Yeah. And I always like, the reason that I love, like I've said, I love working in politics and some sort of policy oriented role is because I have this really huge motivation to do good. And so I knew I wanted something that I could work from home, and that I could be present in James's life as much as possible but then also like still have this like other thing where I am getting fulfilled through you know that outlet um and so I like I had been praying about this I knew that these jobs existed I just like everyone kept telling me they're like oh you know they don't really exist it's like you work and you work at a place and then you have a baby and they say well we still want to keep you on which that just doesn't happen on Capitol Hill um and so finally I just got this random email from Tabitha one day, was like, hey, we have this position, you wanna, you know, send me your resume, whatever. And one thing led to another, but here I am today. Um, and, and really Eagle Forum has given me everything that I, I was looking for. You know, I, I have an incredibly fulfilling job where I am still working in policy. It's, it's way less stress because I'm not, you know, like my job isn't so dependent on when Congress is in session. There's always work to do. Um, but it's not like the hell over overpowering, overburdening. Like I never feel like there are some weeks. I should say, with Congress. <laughs> we, you know, we probably want to lose our. We're like, what are you guys doing? But most of the time, it's it's great. Um, and I also like have found other things through Eagle Forum that I didn't really like have the opportunity to expand in other roles. And and one of that is is really writing. Mm-hmm. Um. So James is not in daycare, and that's mostly just because like I, it's so expensive here, mm-hmm. and my husband is in ministry so that is just thankfully he has some flexibility that we are able to have him home with us and then we have a a babysitter who comes too but we are able to orient our schedules around making sure that like if the sitter isn't able to come for you know that afternoon or whatever that one of us can be present with him which Mm -hmm. has been a huge blessing and I think for me like juggling work-life balance exercise has always been a huge thing for me like I just have always loved the independent um Goal setting that, I am, that I'm able to set through if it's running or whatever kind of workout. Um, so, I don't know. That's, that's what I love to do. And it's been fun seeing James mimic me doing workouts at home that I've been doing because of quarantine. I can't go anywhere.
2: <laughs> what about you, Glenn? Um, so,
0: I was really cautious to enter into a career. You know, it, um, like I said from the beginning, I was kind of thinking, okay, what is something, what is, you know, I want to be a mom. So, what does that look like? That kind of thing. Um and when I went to DC, I had um older women speaking into my life saying, Don't forget to get married. Um, you know, and I could I could see what the feminist movement had done to women in America. So I began praying for years that if the Lord was going to build me a career, that it would be one that was conducive to home life. And so that is what has happened. I mean, he's answered my prayers exceedingly abundantly more, and I'm grateful for that. But um, I am able to work from home and travel a little because I have a very supportive husband. Um, and we have a nanny, uh, who happens to be my sister right now, which is amazing, but she comes four days a week for the day. And, you know, I go have lunch with my kids, that kind of thing. Like I try to see them throughout the day. So, um, that's how I try to balance, you know, i go read my son books before he goes down for nap time, that kind of thing. Um, so it's constantly a struggle and, um, that juggle is so hard. Um, and something that I'm still trying to figure out. I do not have all the answers. You know, I wasn't sure if I was going to say this or not, but I'm going to, um, bearing all of my, um, all the things, but I just started grief counseling and, so not only did I spend the first session, you know, working through losing my dad unexpectedly and all of that, but then I like find myself bawling over when I'm talking about my job because I've got my job that's full time. I do the podcast and the Eagle Farm stuff in a volunteer capacity on the side. I'm also, you know, very involved in my husband's ministry. He's in, in ministry as well. Um, and so then there's the most important work, which is being a wife to him and a mom to my children. And it is so hard. So I'm just like bawling over that. And really a lot of it comes back to meeting the expectations I feel others have put on me, which is not okay. But um, there is a lot of stress and it, and it is hard, but it goes back to boundaries. You know, what has the Lord called you to? What, ha- what are you sure that you are supposed to be doing right now in this season of life? And how are you balancing that with everything else? And I'm starting to realize, too, that those boundaries come um, into these interpersonal relationships as well, you know, not allowing people to speak into your life in ways that contradict what God has told you, you know, that kind of stuff. So anyway. We do a lot of things together as a family, which I feel like is that balance. I am working to um, develop some hobbies so that I do have some things for myself to do (laughs) on the side. Um, But right now, you know, I I lead a discipleship group and we lead our community group. And so when I have downtime, I'm either like washing the dishes, um, sweeping my floors or um, you know, reading, finishing my book readings or um, trying to spend time in the word, just learning more and letting God fill my spirit in that way. So anyway, do all, no, well, I don't know. I don't know how you do
1: that all, Well,
0: I don't know. I have a very supportive husband and he helps me do all these things.
1: Yeah. I, Fridays, yeah I think so like, that's probably the common thread this. Yes, I, I exactly. should have mentioned that, like I couldn't do any of this without Robert's help. Right. Right. And not
0: just his physical presence, but my husband's emotional and spiritual presence in my life as well
2: yeah absolutely i um I chose to start working in one because the finances um, mm-hmm. we live in Alexandria, Virginia, and yes, it's very expensive um and two, like we feel like we're meant to to be in the d c area, so mm-hmm. it'd be different if we weren't attached or felt like we didn't have a purpose here, because right. then we could just move somewhere else that's cheaper, but um, we have a lot of community things that go on here. We are very tightly knit with our friends, and so um, so we don't want to leave that, and we don't want to leave God's purpose for us either, so that means that I'm working, but also, like, I love working. <laughs> um, I Everyone told me, oh, when you after maternity leave, uh, you're not gonna want to come back to work. And it, but I actually did. Because um, I just, I love working for Eagle Forum. And so um, we, we really have the perfect setup. And obviously this isn't the setup for everyone, maybe more so now since everyone's in quarantine. But, um, but I do have that flexibility, like Kirsten said, to finish a project later in the day or at a different time. And, um, you know, I try to find ways to pay attention to my kids needs at that time. So if I have to stop in the middle of of the project and like sit down with him and read a book or feed him a bottle or something, I can do that. And so Mm -hmm. that's that's really nice. And it made things a lot easier to go back to work with that um, with that in mind.
0: You know, I think a key component in what both of you are saying is we have employers that, that, that value our full being as a person. And so, you know, I, I worked for Eagle Forum for a while. Now I work for a political group called the Club for Growth. And my boss, literally at my reviews, the first thing he asks is, is this working for your family still? And so while there have been all these movements to legislate and to, um, develop, um, regulations and such for businesses when it, when it comes to how they employ and hire women. I mean, the market works itself out. You know, I found a job that is conducive to my home life. I found an employer that cares about me as a person and not just as an employee. And so that is
2: not impossible to find. Right. And, and I think it's, it's totally acceptable to request uh, that kind of atmosphere, yes. even if your employer doesn't allow that, or you think that it, you might be met with some kind of tension, like advocate for that family life balance. Yes. Um, and, and I think that that could be the only way that employers learn to offer that to their employees.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, when they talk about the disparity between um, salaries, between men and women, I'm not saying that exactly right, but um, one of the factors they found that is most influential on that wage gap is a woman, a woman's, um, inability to go boldly and ask for a raise or go boldly and ask for whatever they want. And so, you know, we have to keep that in mind as we're, um, working these jobs and such, but
2: anyway, that's another soapbox issue that I won't get on. I'll get back on. Sorry. Sure. (laughs) Um, so my son does go to daycare. He goes to an in-home daycare, um, with, uh, I think it's 12 kids max, but they're not all there usually on the same days. And he goes three days a week. Um, we, so my husband worked well before quarantine, he worked from home two days a week, and um, we would uh, trade off care during that time, like if I needed to go in for a meeting or something like that. Um, and uh, we have continued to let him go during quarantine just for like the social aspect. And it's been amazing. Like his, his caregivers treat him like that he's one of their own children. He's learned a lot. Um, and, and it's been a nice little community effort uh, between all of us t- to give him some opportunities to get his energy out and and learn more things than maybe I would expose him to. So good things, that is. Um, and then what do I do to de-stress during this, like trying to find this uh work-life balance. Um, so first, I you know, I, I try to be flexible. It's so easy to, like, zero in on a project. Um, and so um, I, ha- I realized that my child's needs change from day to day. Like, I can't expect what yesterday looked like today. Um, and so I have to put um my expectations aside to be able to respond to him when he he needs my attention. Um, and so that means sometimes foregoing typical hours like the nine to five hours. Like that just doesn't work when you have a little one at home or you're trying to work around schedules. And um so I try not to fit everything in a rigid time time frame also, but um just like, you know, self-care, I, this is probably isn't the healthiest thing, but I just binge watch TV. I, I love going on Netflix and seeing what the new thing is and just watching it. That's my outlet. What was a moment in your life that you felt the most empowered?
1: I mean, I think when you give birth, I mean, I'm just going to put that out there. Like I remember the last, you know, like 10 to minutes of pushing and I was just like I cannot do this anymore and wanting to just give up and then all of a sudden you're done and any and you did it you're around the bend and you're holding your baby in your arms and it is just empowering being a, you know bringing life into the world and then also just like the instant connection that I felt to James which I know like some women don't have that and, and motherhood is its own struggle um, daily but the ups and downs through it has been, Really empowering for me and fulfilling. I was talking to my dentist one day, and um, I
2: she asked about childbirth because she doesn't have any children yet, and I said it's the most empowered I've ever felt, and she was like, "Wow, I've never heard it put into that context." Mm-hmm. And I think everyone hears the horror horror stories mm-hmm. and how like how it feels painful, but no one ever talks about like how empowering that is and so it's important that we also encourage women to give birth as well because it is it it feels rewarding it feels great to do that as a woman
0: I love that no and I absolutely would agree but I don't want to give that cop-out answer um I was thinking of there's so many different experiences in my life but you know when I moved to DC um at the end of 2010, it was early 2011. Um, that was probably one of the most empowering moments of my life because it was me really kind of outside of the covering of my mom and dad, you know, I had, um, it was just different. Graduating from college, going out there, truly being on your own, beginning to make your own decisions, um, and to be able to implement all that you learned and that had been taught to you in a very practical real life way. Um, Anyway, that was a really empowering time. I didn't make all the best decisions, um, but I wouldn't trade anything for the world because it's made me who I am and given me the perspective that I have. So
1: Mm -hmm. all right, Kristen, what's your question? What was the best thing about living in Washington, D.C.?
0: One thing that we continue to talk about in our home, because both my husband and I lived there and now we don't, um, is the level of authentic diversity i mean you've got people from all over the country from all backgrounds all walks of life all views all opinions all parties all religions coming to one place to try to affect change in our country or to um you know affect our system of government and so that is probably what we miss the most is the diversity and um the, the way that things were always moving people, it was very transient area as well, which can is also a, a you know, a drawback, but um, people were always coming in and moving out and you were exposed to so many different people and so many ideologies. And it just is such a challenging place in so many ways. And um, I think sometimes we miss that challenge. We love where we are now because we are in our own little Mayberry. Um, but that is one I think the most positive things about our
2: nation's capital. Yeah, I I love so many things about DC. I I just love all the things to do. I mean, I'm from a little country town where you could go to the mall and you could go to the grocery store, but that's about it. And here like you you have so many opportunities. You have like you you have not only every store at your fingertip, but you also can learn about the nation's history if you're that kind of person, if you're a history person. Um there is a lot of music influence like in the um, in the Shaw neighborhoods and um, like around Ben's Chili Bowl and just like, just a lot of like deep rooted history here that isn't just your typical like American history, but just how humans have lived and what they love to do, like their hobbies and what influences them. Art, you know, like we have the, the Kennedy Center, which I mean is sometimes embroiled in controversy when it comes to politics, but um, but you have the opportunity to go see a Broadway or a musical or you know whatever. So there are endless things to do here um, to that you, that don't even have a political flair.
1: Yeah, I would just echo that stuff. I mean, I think I, I someone when we mo- before we moved here said, you know, it's time to leave if you can no longer you know, drive past the Capitol or walk on the National Mall and not be inspired or in awe of of where you are. Obviously, I miss that. I wish there was less traffic, you know, things like that, but um, just the experiences that we've had and then also the proximity of so many other areas. So, like, we've been to a lot of Civil War battlefields and, you know, we're close to New York City. There's just a lot of different areas that you can explore here, which Mm -hmm. has been really fun. Yeah we hope you
2: have enjoyed hearing the behind the scenes scoop of our lives if you want to know more feel free to drop us a question in the comment section don't forget to subscribe to engage with eagle forum and follow us on all social media platforms to stay up to date with the latest news check out eagleforum.org from our house to the state house to the white house this is engage with eagle forum